Weird times, creepy crimes, and unexplained phenomenon. If it's weird and it's in Florida, it's on the SoFlo Weird Show. Here's your host and head weirdo, Mia Lorenzo. Welcome, weirdos. Thank you for joining me. There's nothing like coming out of Florida's miserably hot summer and into the cool fall. Well, maybe not that cool. And with it comes the season for all things spooky, the time for terror, and most notably, the horror of haunts. Some people will do anything to stay clear of fear, and others embrace it. On a recent trip to St. Augustine, Florida's most haunted city, I was advised by a friend to visit the lighthouse, which is said to be haunted. When I arrived, I was informed of a late-night ghost hunt taking place that evening. That's where I met Brian Kramer and Donna Lyman of Paranormal Adventures. I was intrigued by their backstory, particularly how Brian's journey to ghost hunting began in the most unusual and ironic of ways. All right, I'm going to go back to the night that we met at the St. Augustine Lighthouse, and it was really neat because what struck me about you was not that you were carrying all this equipment, but your T-shirt that you were wearing, which was a Ghostbusters T-shirt. So can you kind of explain your background with the movie? Well, I have a shirt for everything anyway. Any occasion, <laughs> I, have, I have the perfect shirt. And uh, since um, it's a Ghostbusters shirt, I'm actually in about three shots of Ghostbusters. Uh, they were shooting it a few blocks from my college, the New York Institute of Technology. And I was doing my typical walk around the city and I saw a big, big to-do. And I saw all these cameras and all these people around and I walked on and walked on to all these extras dressed as soldiers who were really pissed that I was there. And the whole sidewalk thing, everything is, the scene of them walking out at the very, very end, the end credits is what was set up. The sidewalk's all messed up. Cars are upside, the police cars sticking out of the street. And, uh, and there I am in Ghostbusters. And I walked up to Bill Murray at the, at, the, at the very, very end, which I think actually made the movie too. We have to go watch it again. So do you think it's ironic that you basically got a spot in that movie and now you are this paranormal investigator? I think it was just meant to be. <laughs> it just, it took a while to get here. It's a lot of watching of uh, paranormal shows and ghost adventures and all that stuff that kind of, you know, kind of got it going for us. And then the irony came in. So why don't you tell me how you two met? We met at work, like 15 years ago. I was uh, was an executive suite. I was a secretary there, a receptionist. And I answered the phone for Brian's company. How did you two realize that you both have this passion or this love for ghost hunting? Well, I've been watching those shows for forever. I've been watching specifically Ghost Adventures since the very beginning. And Donna used to mock me and my son all the time to the extent that she would walk out of the room. And now we've come full circle because I'll walk into the bedroom and she's watching it all by herself. I just thought it was stupid. I don't know. I just thought it was just like a stupid kind of show and ridiculous. And why are you wasting your time watching that? Because who believes that? But um, after watching it myself for, you know, long periods of time, I, I believe. I believe in, in what they're seeing and what they're getting. What is it that keeps you attracted to it? Like what, what keeps you going back for more? Usually we always get some kind of something, a noise, a sound, a whisper. So it, it always, you know, we're, we're so astonished when we hear it. It's, it. It just makes us want to go for more. 
what was your first experience like, like that first time you experienced something ghostly for each of you? Uh, Brian, you go first. I was at the Oaklawn Cemetery in Tampa right before a Halloween screening of Nosferatu and uh, alone in a cemetery. And I just hit up a bunch of sites in the tombstones and grave sites and didn't think anything happened. I didn't get anything I thought on my spirit box. But when I went home, eventually listened to my recordings and there was a whisper that said, Kelly, or kill me. So you make the light go yellow. And until that moment is when I, as being a logical person, couldn't argue with what I heard in my own ears, knowing that there was nobody else around. And until then, I did not believe. I just didn't believe. And after that, I can't not believe. Donna, what did you experience for your first? It was a few things, and it all happened in the old jail in St. Augustine. We were walking around some of the cells, and, and I felt, it felt like something was touching me. Like something was almost like a, like walking through a spider web, like on, mm. on, my, on my hair. Like I just wanted to like shoo it off. So there was that. And then when we went back a second time, we were, one of the investigators had a, an SLS camera. And that shows a little stick figure. It shows a spirit that's there that you can't see with your own eyes. And I went up to it because I had seen this done on one of the ghost shows where the investigator put her hand up, like stood next to the, the stick figure and it, and it touched her. So I had asked the investigator if I can go ahead and do that. And she said, sure. So I did. And when I put my hand up, I couldn't see her camera, but she told me it was touching me. And without telling me where it was touching me, I was able to tell her I felt something on my forearm, like something was like, like static electricity, like that kind of thing. And that's exactly where it was caressing my arm. So that was pretty freaky for me. And we got that on video on the SLS camera. How much of it would you say that you can experience it like in person in the moment versus getting these little surprises you get when you go back and you listen or you're editing or you're doing whatever? Well, on the spirit box, you can get you listening live. And even on an EVP, I've, I've taken recently to listening on my headphones live. It really made no sense to me. If I'm going to ask you a question and a spirit next to me is jumping up and down saying, I'm right here and I'm only recording it as an EVP. And I go home and go, oh, he was yelling at me and I couldn't hear it. It's just stupid. So I plug in my headphones live. So essentially, it's almost like a square box at that point. Is there something special about this house that you see here? Or is it the latest? Just like we were in the Deering Estate about a month ago, and I had my headphones plugged in, and I was in one of the offices. And right next to me, I heard, I heard and I out loud said, I heard that. I hope I got it. So at least I knew I marked it on my recording, and I did. So that was pretty awesome, because that was live right there. The other thing that we do get is, is like a knock, you know, we'll be somewhere and Brian will say, you know, can you make a noise for me? And he'll knock on a wall or a table or something. And he'll say, can you do that for me? And it's happened where we've waited maybe 10, 15 seconds and we've heard the knock back. The first time that happened was at the Brooksville train station. And I, and it's great listening to the recording of it because you hear me ask and then nothing happens. Like 20 seconds later, I said, I guess not. And then as soon as I said that there were two knocks. And then you just hear dead silence because we were shocked. <laughs> so they like to interact, I guess, because there's a lot of question and answer, or rather question response. I think they do like to react because we do get stuff. There's always something there. Can you tell us your name? Hello. 
When we were in Vegas, it was really funny. At Zach Bagan's museum, we did the flashlight tour, which is just a very small limited amount of people. And we were in this infamous Dybbuk box room. And if you're familiar with paranormal, Dybbuk boxes are a Yiddish box that holds spirits or ghosts. And it really just liked to communicate with Donna and not me. Because it was ironic for about five minutes, it would literally react on the EMF meter to her. And when she handed it to me, everything stopped. And I gave it back and it started again. It was it was very, very obvious. It did not want to chat with me. How far have you come? Like you've been doing this for a while now. Compared to that first experience that you had, what were you using? And what are some of the things that you have equipment-wise with you now when you go out on an investigation? Tell, tell them what we started with, Donna. <laughs> we, we started with a little EMF meter, which is this little box that lights up if there's a spirit or something close to you. And a digital recorder. And a digital recorder. And at this point, there's not much we don't have. If I can show you my living room floor right now, you you would fall off your chair, honestly. We have pretty much everything. Our newest addition is a very, very high-end thermal imaging camera with a recording function, basically like an EVP thermally. Um, I might not see something immediately, but I can go home and watch an hour's worth, and maybe there's something there I didn't notice. We have, a, we have one of the top-end Sony night vision cameras, and a Celeste camera. What, what did I just get to? Oh, we just got a really great apparatus. It's the uh, GS2 laser grid, which puts a laser grid on a particular place, but it doesn't just a laser grid. If something breaks the grid, it'll show you on a little screen exactly where it is. It, meet, it registers temperature changes and gives you an audio alert and records it. So it's not just a matter of you have to be able to notice it. It'll tell you when something is there with you. And it'll also monitor for temperature changes too. And everything else in between, you know, it's red, you know, infrared cameras, you name it, a lot of stuff. It's not like there's a school for ghost hunting. Like, how do you know this? And how do you know where to look for this stuff or how it works or what kind of results it's going to get? Well, I read a lot. I read a lot. I, I literally just got a book today about protection for people who do this, which is, I think, really important if you're going to take it seriously. It's not a game. Um, I read a lot. I watch a lot. And actually, in our blog that hopefully will start in January, I'm writing a lot of pieces like that. One of the silliest things that I learned the hard way is no chewing gum. You wouldn't think <laughs> about that, but it's really important because we were on, I don't know which cemetery we were at, and I listened to Donna chew gum for 45 minutes on a digital recorder. <laughs> so at that she point, realize that the so at that point so but something as simple as that, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it, that became a rule that if you didn't think about it, you're going to learn that the hard way. So that's literally one of the things, you know, it's a simple couple paragraphs, but it's important. Another thing we learned, or I learned, if you're in sales, you know, always be closing ABC. I, I deemed it, I deemed it for, for ghost adventures, ghost hunting, uh, always be recording ABR. Uh, we were in the golden Tiki lounge in Las Vegas and Donna was on the phone. I, we sat down in a busy, busy, busy bar and I popped the two murders had been there. That's why I wanted to go have a drink and investigate. I popped the recorder on and in 20 seconds, my fastest EVP ever, I got a whisper. So just always be recording. Let's bring it back to Florida. Tell me some of the places that you have investigated in Florida. You pretty much go everywhere. Like nothing is, you know, out of your jurisdiction. We don't, right? we don't discriminate. We were just <laughs> yeah. in Stark this weekend, 700 mile drive for the night. Um, we were invited to go join another group or be part of their group to investigate two homes that had some paranormal activity. You're doing house calls now, right? Sure. Absolutely. So tell me about that. It, it was a husband, it was a, a wife, her husband died about two years ago and she'd been hearing things and seeing things. And I asked her where she thought the best place to start was. And she said her master bedroom. So we walked into the bedroom uh, with another friend of ours and he went into the bathroom and he experienced the infamous 
heavy feeling, which I've yet to feel. And I can't wait to eventually feel that. But I, I set up our grid system and I just popped my recorder on and I said, Larry, the, husband, the late husband's name, are you here with us? And we heard two knocks in the bathroom. So within five minutes, we already got that. That was amazing. And the, the wife said that when she goes to bed at night, she hears that knocking every single night. Wow. And she, she was, you know, I guess it scared her and she was worried, but we believe it's her husband who's just, he just died two years ago. We, we, we told her that we thought it was him just being there and maybe protecting her and making sure she's okay. And the daughter who also has had activity, we investigated their, her home first. And in her bedroom where she sees shadow figures, Donna started a recording session within a minute, got two also classy EVPs that we couldn't understand, but two responses to her questions within a minute. Is anybody in this house, in this bedroom? Can you tell me what your name is? And then later on, using my SB11 spirit box, I asked, are you here for the lady or the property? And I got what I thought sounded clear as day, a voice that said the lady. Back to the woman's husband, um, since you did this house call, does that give them any kind of comfort when you do an investigation and they kind of have an answer at that point? I think it does. I, I, I think at least it's not something, you know, you don't want to have something evil being there because right. because that's scary. But I think that, you know, the little things that happens, the little knocks or the little, you know, little bowl of flowers that moves or knocks over, things like that. I think it's just, you know, maybe his his spirit, a loved one's spirit, just, just being there and, and watching out over them. And I, I think that does give them comfort, just knowing not to be afraid. When you investigate a place, I'm sure each one's different. How much of the backstory do you know going in? I'm sure there's locations that you may not know the backstory, or do you always know something? I'm always doing research. <laughs> yeah, we usually know yeah. what's going on. If I'm going to go someplace, I want to ask for somebody. I want to have something interesting to talk to. That's my whole modus operandi, even in a cemetery. Um, I just have a feeling that I'm there with somebody. And I always say, if I'm gone, I want somebody to come visit me. What would you want to talk about? <laughs> my two my two go-to questions are, can you, what is your favorite food? And can you tell me a joke? I've never got an answer for <laughs> yeah. the, I've never got an answer for food yet, but I've had two spirits say, no, I won't tell you a joke. <laughs> which is pretty awesome. Can you tell me a joke? No. Let's go back to how we met. That was like a late night. We were in the lighthouse, the St. Augustine lighthouse, which is supposed to have lots of spirits haunting it. I personally did not experience anything or I didn't think I experienced anything except for when I listened back, there was a couple of things I thought I heard unexplainable, like a creak and something that sounded like a moan. The moan though was not actually in the lighthouse. It was in the surrounding area, like in the woods, which was really creepy. Okay, what the fuck was that? I heard something creaking, like wood creaking. Am I alone in the woods? I wondered if you had experienced anything at the lighthouse. 
on our first visit, when we first began, uh, also by the woods, we were sitting at a bench and we were basically were done all alone. And we thought we heard like shuffling of footsteps behind us. And there was nothing behind us except woods. Nobody could have been walking back there. It wasn't like there was a path. That was pretty crazy. We also got some uh, spirit box activity the night that we met you. It was hard, though, because the investigation, you can go back at night. I forget what time it was. I think it was like 11 o'clock at night or something. It was like 11 to 1 in the morning. And you're there with a group of people. So I got a little bit confused. Listen, I'm the novice. I only had my recorder. And we're walking around. So some of the noises that you hear you think could be the other guests walking around. It was hard to decipher what I was hearing and what I wasn't. Granted, I don't have the equipment that you have, but it would almost be interesting had I gone in there and nobody else was in there. Then I could trust what I was hearing. You know what I mean? We always try to find the empty rooms. I mean, when when we go to a place with other people, like a group event like that, I always have a game plan. I know exactly the hot spot that I want to get to first, literally in the door and out, so I can try to get there before the people get in there. And if you're in a contaminated situation like that with other people, if you hear it with your ears and you know it's not real, you need to mark your tape. You need to say those are people walking by so that you won't be confused a month from now and think maybe that yeah. was actually something. That's a really, really important thing for people to learn. You want to use the spirit box or you want to just... Uh, it's going to be noisy. Okay, so you want to just... We do that even when, when we're moving around. If we're going to start walking and we know we're going to be noisy, we'll, we'll say, you know, the cord will pick it up. That's me walking. So at least we know that's us. Well, this is Donna Chewing Gum. Yeah. <laughs> I don't do that anymore. <laughs> Who would have thought of that? What's the most haunted location you think you visited in Florida so far? Probably maybe the St. Francis. St. Francis Inn, yeah, where we stayed in St. Augustine. We've um, The St. Francis Inn, if you Google most haunted room in St. Augustine, you will see the room that we stayed in, Lily's room. Um, there was a person killed in that room. They've had other activities there, and we stayed there already once. We stayed in another room next door once, and we'll be back there in January. And our first visit, we checked in. I ripped out a, a camera to record when we walked out the door. In 20 minutes, we were out the door. Came back two hours later. And we couldn't get in our room. These are old-fashioned key locks. And the lock was jammed. And the woman there said she'd never seen that in eight years. They had to get a locksmith. So we all kind of joked that Lily didn't like us recording the moment we walked in. But more importantly than that, and more definitive than that, was our second visit with our SLS camera. We came back from visiting the uh, Castillo de San Marcos at night. And Donna was tired, went upstairs. I went into the breakfast room, turned on the SLS. And the moment I turned it on, it mapped something right across from me. And as soon as I said, I see you, it disappeared. It's like, it can sit there all day long because it doesn't think I know. But once I said I knew it's there, it was gone. Then I got Donna to come down with me. We went in another room and for about 10 minutes in this other breakfast room, it was like this entity was sitting across from us, moving its hands and moving its hands like it was using a knife and fork. <laughs> and then we went upstairs. Donna, you can tell me about upstairs. Yeah, we went upstairs, getting ready to get in the room, and Brian's got the camera on, and he's kind of pointing around like a staircase because that's where the, the, the maids or the slaves or whoever used to work down there. And all of a sudden, we got a stick figure. Full figure, like six feet tall. Yeah. But again, as soon as I said there. it's here, it, it disappeared. And then I opened the door to our room, and Brian turns the camera around, and this thing went into our room. And it was on my pillow. It was lying on the bed. So I slept with the spirit. <laughs> so you you guys don't ever get scared? That's not true. <laughs> we we get scared. We the, probably the scariest I've ever been was in, in a cemetery. We were Merritt Island. 
Merritt Island um, near near Melbourne. It was late at night. It was dark. And, and we were alone. We were alone, just the two of us. And we were like scouting around the, the cemetery. And then I, I heard footsteps. And I looked at Brian. He looks at me. And we're like, did you hear that? And we're like, yeah, we heard I, I it. I heard it, but I didn't want to say anything because I didn't want to freak her out. And it wasn't like an animal. It wasn't, you know, a squirrel or whatever would make a little time. This was like footsteps. And that really scared me. And since then, I don't like to do cemeteries at night by ourselves. We didn't just hear it once. We heard them three separate occasions. And by the third time, I pulled out my thermal camera <laughs> to verify if there was something living where we were hearing the noise. And there was nothing that registered thermally. So there was nothing that, was, that had a temperature, a heat signature in that area where we heard those footsteps. Man, I, I just I just don't know how I would react. I think I'd run out of there, to be honest with you. Well, she's Donna's been touched several times, and yeah. I can't believe. Yeah. <laughs> I can't believe how much she. <laughs> they like to touch me. I don't. I don't know why. Do you each have a a job that you do separately, or do you have different experiences one than the other? What are your roles when you actually investigate? I don't really think we have roles. I mean. Donna usually sticks to the the recorder, the MF meter, and the spirit box. I'll I'll have the more a little more of the heavy lifting. It is ironic though; they really seem. You know, she's been touched in several different locations, several different times. So you know, we just go with it. If it's a large location, we'll take different rooms. You know, so we can cover as much as we can. So I'll take my recorder, my EMF meter. I'll go into a different room. He'll go into a different room. We'll do our thing, and then we'll you know we'll, we'll get back together. We've also heard that spirits don't get so threatened if it's individual people. You know, it's not a whole group, yeah. kind of like a gangbang. They'd rather be, you know, if they can be, have one person, they're, they're happy that way. So. But Brian gets very intense when we're doing these investigations. Sometimes, you know, I have to kind of, you know, tell him to like, calm down. <laughs> well, you guys have a very long, long list of places that you have visited. Are there any on like a new hit list that you're looking forward to doing? We're going to be going to Savannah and Charleston in a few months. So we plan on investigating the USS Yorktown, which is in Charleston. It's supposed to be very active. Uh, the jail in Charleston is supposed to be active, but I don't know how good that's going to be. It might be with too big a group of people. And I, I hate those events with a large group. It's just a waste of time. We are also staying in a, in a uh, Airbnb that's about 140 years old. That was on purpose. So hopefully we can, we're going to actually gonna investigate where we're staying. Um, there are also a lot of cemeteries in Savannah that are supposed to be good. And we're going to be, I forgot the name of the room. There's an old inn that's there that now hosts investigations that are very limited, you know, a real one, not with 40 people, which is just BS. You know, you should really have more than, say, 10 people in a reasonable size place. And that was like that. So that's, uh, we're going to do that. And we're going to go investigating for my birthday up in Clewiston. I just went to, hold on, Savannah. Uh, I did a pub and a haunted pub tour, but the guy knew so much history. It was insane. Have you heard of the Marshall House? Yeah, we're staying there, actually. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah we're actually saying. staying in, if you Google the most haunted room there, room 404, we will be in there for one night. That was the room that was actually the surgical room, the emergency room during during Civil War. So we're staying in that room for one night. So yeah, we got to come. If there's a haunted room with a town we're going to, I will find it and we'll be in the most haunted room. I don't know how you guys do it. I, I think it's way cool. I think it's exciting. I will watch. I will listen to whatever you have. I don't know that I could sleep in a haunted <laughs> room. I have I have no idea. I have yet to experience something. So I will definitely maybe tag along with with you on one of these haunts, I guess, sure. at some point. 
I, I don't know. I'm just curious now how I would feel like now if I actually saw something like an aberration of some sort. Yeah, we haven't know? done the, we haven't had the really a disembodied voice. We've captured a disembodied noise and we haven't seen a disembodied body yet. So those are right. our two things that are on the check off the checklist. Yeah. <laughs> I might be hightailing it out of the room when that happens. Well, you're going away from footsteps. <laughs> it's yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. But what's mine really is hard to just wrap your, hand, your head around is that when you capture, especially like an AVP or even spirit box, that's something right next to you. It's just like, it's hard yeah. to believe. Uh, I know it's out of Florida, but my favorite EVP was at the Grafton Ghost Town. Uh, we did about an hour investigation there in Utah. We're about to leave. And Donna was already running for the car because it was so hot. And I turned around because I figured this is my last time I'll probably ever be here, turned on my recorder, and I did a quick one-minute EVP session. And I just pictured this place at night. You're surrounded by mountains in the middle of nowhere with a cemetery a quarter mile away. And I just said, this this place must really be spooky at night. And on my recording, clear as day, class A, you get, oh, yeah. I'm getting goosebumps now. Yeah, it was. That was unbelievable. It was crazy. Like clear as day. It was unbelievable. No, so at that moment, something was standing right next to me, hanging out with me. It's crazy. How do people follow you? We are on Instagram as well as my group on Facebook. The same thing, it's paranormaladventures.us. And hopefully, and I have that website. There's nothing there now, but hopefully by January, when I get some of my other tips on there, as well as our evidence. And same thing when I go look up places, I'll be basically reviewing places we go to and what kind of activity we had. So this way you'll know if it's worth going or not. Okay, well, thank you for your time. Thank you for having us. Thanks, it was great. And happy haunting. (laughs) Thank you. We'll keep you posted. That was Paranormal Adventures' Brian Kramer and Donna Lyman talking about their ghost hunting experiences. There are lots of ghosts everywhere, so they do stay busy. To follow their investigations, check them out on Facebook and Instagram at paranormaladventures.us. We'll also have a link on our website at SoFloWeird.com. Next, we highlight a few of Florida's apparitions, specters, and spirits. These selected stories can be found in the pages of Charlie Carlson's book, Strange Florida 2. The Biltmore Hotel in Coral Gables has received its share of publicity from ghost hunters for being Florida's most haunted hotel. Built in 1925, the Biltmore was closed during the 1970s, and that's when the spirits checked in, according to local witnesses, who say they've seen strange lights inside the vacant hotel. One group of ghost hunters explored the building using a variety of spirit-detecting devices, including digital recorders that picked up unexplainable sounds, like people talking. Since the reopening of the hotel, guests have told of mysterious messages appearing in the steam on bathroom mirrors and doors that open on their own, and some claim to have seen the apparition of a little old man with a cane. Another story has a ghost guest residing on the 13th floor, where elevators often stop, even when the button has been pressed for another floor. The 13th floor, come on, give me a break. How cliche can a ghost story get? Okay, here's the scoop on the Biltmore as I heard it. During the Prohibition era, a gangster by the name of Thomas Fatty Walsh was involved in an illegal whiskey business with a partner who was staying in a room on the 13th floor. A heated argument erupted between the two gangsters, and Fatty was shot dead on the 13th floor room. I guess Fatty the gangster became Fatty the ghost and is still hanging around pulling pranks on guests. 
In St. Petersburg, the Don Caesar Beach Resort, built in 1925, is haunted by its former owner, Thomas Rowe, who died in 1940. According to Ghostbusters, who have investigated the place, Mr. Rowe can be seen decked out in white and wearing a Panama hat, roaming the halls and grounds. Current management discredits the stories, but I think having a ghost would be an attraction for business. Like Ashley's Restaurant in Rockledge, where the management even puts their ghost story on the back of the menu. Ashley's Haunting has appeared in all kinds of publications and in television documentaries. A few years ago, I participated in a TV documentary that was filmed there. I later used Ashley's as a backdrop to my novel, Ashley's Shadow, published in 2005, which is based on a dead girl who supposedly haunts the restaurant. I have a fondness for Ashley's Restaurant for two reasons. First, it has great food at reasonable prices, and second, it has a great ghost story, which goes back several decades. Employees and patrons tell of being touched, shoved, or having their hair yanked by invisible entities. Kitchenware moves about, lights flicker, and apparitions have been seen in the mirror of the ladies' room. Some have experienced a choking sensation in the corridor leading to the restroom. The cause of Ashley's haunting is blamed on an assortment of spirits. One story has the Tudor-style building sitting atop an Indian burial mound. Another claims it used to be the railroad station that burned down and killed some people. Then there's the one about a girl killed on the highway out front, or the boy killed out back on the Florida East Coast Railroad tracks. Sorry to say, historical research does not substantiate any of these claims. However, another account can be documented by census records and microfilm of old newspapers and police files. It's the story of Ethel Allen, a 19-year-old girl murdered in 1934. Her mutilated, nude body was found dumped in the Indian River between Rockledge and Ugali. According to the ghost legend, she was killed in the storeroom, which today is the ladies' restroom, and has come back to haunt the place. The part about the storeroom murder is not supported by historical facts, but there is a clue linking Ethel to Ashley's eatery. A 1934 newspaper article about the murder states that Ethel Allen was employed at Jack's Tavern, my research indicates that in the 1930s, Ashley's was called Jack's Tavern, owned by a Jack Allen. He may have been related to Ethel. However, according to the census, he was not her father or brother. Whatever the case, it certainly makes Ethel Allen a prime suspect in the haunting of Ashley's. Many wannabe ghost hunters literally operate in the dark because they fail to search through records for evidence that will support a haunting. Before striking out as a ghostbuster, you need a little proof that a spirit really existed as a living person or that an event actually happened. Otherwise, you'll be on a wild goose chase instead of a ghost chase. In the case of Ashley's resident ghost, historical research led me to Merritt Island where I found Ethel's simple grave in the Crooked Mile Road Cemetery. A little research can make haunting stories more intriguing or in other cases, dismiss them as something that never existed in the first place. If you're easily excited by poltergeist shenanigans, then you'll be intrigued by a poltergeist case involving a novelty storage warehouse in Miami. In my opinion, this has to be America's best documented proof of poltergeist activity. 
go back to December 1966 through January 1967, when the Tropication Arts Warehouse, a distribution center for Florida souvenirs, experienced 225 unexplainable incidents of merchandise flying or rolling off shelves. Workers tried frantically to figure out what was going on. There was so much breakage that the owners called the police to investigate. The first officer on the scene witnessed so much strange stuff that he called for backup. The unexplainable activity was actually witnessed firsthand by the police, a detective, a journalist, insurance investigators, and eventually a team from the American Society for Physical Research joined the investigation. During a 10-day period, the ASPR team documented 150 incidents and narrowed the cause down to Julio Vasquez, a 19-year-old Cuban worker. Vasquez was the only worker present during all of the incidents. Researchers concluded that Vasquez, who was experiencing personal turmoil in his life, was subconsciously projecting some kind of physical kinetic energy. He was tested in a controlled laboratory experiment, which found he could produce a high level of psychic energy. Researchers wanted to do more and even offered Vasquez money, but he refused, saying he didn't like being a guinea pig. On January 30, 1967, Vasquez was fired for stealing from the warehouse and the poltergeist activity ceased. The extent of Julio Vasquez's psychic ability will never be known, because in 1969, while working at a Miami gas station, he was shot and killed in a holdup by two robbers. I found that you can go just about any place in Florida and ask around about ghost stuff, and you'll soon be directed to a haunted house or will hear a ghost story. We enjoy ghost stories because they stir our curiosity, give us goosebumps, and entertain us. But most importantly, spirits give us a little hope beyond the grave. Just remember to be kind to the dead. You can't always see them, plus they far outnumber the living. My own advice to you is that some things are best left alone. Know of a weird place or have a weird tale to tell? Go to SoFloWeird.com. If you want more Strange Florida stories, be sure to visit us on Facebook and Instagram. You can find us by searching at SoFloWeird. And please join our SoFlo Weirdos Facebook group, where we share Florida's dubious tales every week. As a fan of the SoFlo Weird Show, there are many ways you can become involved. Our goal is to create a community of weirdos who celebrate all things strange in the Sunshine State. Here's Michelle to tell you how you can join our team. Are you a super fan and weirdo to the core? Then consider joining our SoFlo Weird Street team. Get free stickers and represent us on social media with hashtag SoFloWeirdStreetTeam. Just send us a message on social or through our website and you'll be on your way to street team status. Like what you hear on this podcast? Then consider giving us a review and please share with your friends. If you wish to support the SoFlo team in our freakish mission to entertain your insatiable appetite for weird stories, then go to our website, pick up some SoFlo swag, or buy us a coffee, and we'll give you a shout-out on the show. I'm Mia Lorenzo. Thank you for listening to the SoFlo Weird Show. Special thanks goes to our weird announcer, Joe Johnson, and Michelle McArdle for promotion and production assistance. This has been a Sideshow Charlie production, inspired by Florida's master of the weird, Charlie Carlson. Stay weird, everybody.